Our sermon passage this morning is Matthew 14, verse 22 through 36. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gesenaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored him that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you take your seat, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this day, we come in the name of Jesus your Son, and our Lord. This day, O God, we cry out to you. This day we plead and pray for you to work for your people and for you to work in our midst. Lord, we believe and we know that you are able to accomplish all things. So Lord, we pray you would bring healing. We pray you would bring repentance. We pray you would bring restoration. We pray you would bring hope. We pray you would work your good for your people through your word today. Lord, we are very hopeful and very thankful that we get to come into your presence. We're very hopeful and very thankful that you've given us the church. And now we pray that you would speak to us. Oh Lord, would you cause us to see you and run to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, it's so good to worship with you all this morning. If you haven't done so already, please take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, where Sarah just read for us. Um, We are studying our way through the book of Matthew and Today, we're in another of a series of very common passages, ones that we've been taught since childhood, if we've grown up in the church. Um, As it goes, Jesus is going to walk on water. He's going to calm a storm. He's going to cause Peter to walk on water, and he's going to heal many, many people who merely touch his garment. This story is in the scripture. This story is in the book of Matthew to reveal this truth. Jesus is worthy of our complete trust in him. 
Jesus is worthy of our complete trust in him. Slowly, Jesus is revealing to his followers, and now Matthew is revealing to us in this account the powers that Jesus has, or better stated, the things that Jesus controls. Nature, he's in control. People in a boat, he's in control. People with illness, people with sickness, people with disease, he's in control. And these stories are to convey that he is able, but more than that, they are to draw us to trust him. They're to draw, they are drawing us to trust So that's what we want to look at this morning. We want to look at this narrative and what it tells us about Jesus and how it is helping us learn to trust him. So if you want to take notes this morning, first point is the son of God, the son of God. Now, I chose those words intentionally because in the middle of this story, the disciples of Jesus cry out, truly you are the Son of God. Truly you are the divine Son of God who's bringing God's work into the world. Truly you are the Son of God. Now, call me a simpleton if you will, but if that's where these realities pushed those who experienced them, then I believe that's where it's supposed to push us as well. It's supposed to convey to us that Jesus indeed is the Son of God. He is the one who represents God, who makes God known, who carries out God's work in the world. That's where these stories are supposed to push us. So what do we see here that pushed the disciples to that confession, truly, you are the Son of God. Last week, we heard the story of him feeding um, 5,000 men plus women and children from virtually nothing on a hillside. And then we're told that immediately after this is over, he made the disciples get into a boat and go across to the other side of the sea. He stayed back and dismissed the crowds. And after that, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. So Jesus prays through the night while the disciples are floating and sailing across the sea, the lake, the body of water. And they, the disciples, came into a problem. There was a, a wind and a storm and waves. And we're told, picking up in verse 26, I'm sorry, 25, in the fourth watch of the night, so that's your 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. window there. So lots of praying with Jesus to the Father and lots of struggling out to sea for the disciples. In that window, Jesus came to them 
walking on the sea. He came to them walking on the sea. That means walking on top of the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. All in favor of terrified there? It's us, yeah. And said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Just remember, the Bible uses the word fear in two different ways. There's like fear equals awe of God. And there's fear equals terrified. This is terrified, okay? They were terrified. They weren't worshiping. They were terrified. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So Jesus walks to them and announces himself. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. I often poke holes in linguistic nerds because often in the scripture it just doesn't make that big of a difference. But here it does, okay? Take heart, it is I. This is the same formula that shows up in John when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Before Abraham was, I am. Am in intentionally using the name that God took for himself in Exodus. So Jesus is announcing something about himself. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. Take heart. I am here. Do not be afraid. Take heart. I am claiming something about myself. I'm showing something to you. Do not be afraid. So Jesus is Showing a power over the realm of nature and over the laws of nature in walking across a sea on a storm to his disciples who were in a boat. So Peter, the impulsive one, verse 28, says, Well, Lord, if it's you really, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus says, come. And the reality is the power of Jesus also extends to enabling Peter to step out of the boat and come to him. Then we're told that Peter saw the wind and he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus has the power to reach out, take hold of Peter, put him back into the boat, and then himself, verse 32, get in the boat and the wind ceases. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. So in this story we see Disciples in a boat, beaten by waves, scared, wondering what's going to happen. We see Jesus coming to them by walking on water. We see Jesus bringing Peter out onto the water with him. We see Peter beginning to sink. Jesus reaching down and saving him. Jesus getting into the boat with them and 
causing the wind to cease. All of this is intended to evidence that Jesus is able to do all things even when nature says that he should not be able to do it because he's the Lord of nature. Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, we could stop there, but the story keeps going. Picking up in verse 34, it tells us they got to the other side of the sea. Sarah came to me before the service to ask how to pronounce Gennesaret. She wanted to be biblical, and I appreciate that. But I was like, we're in the south, Sarah. You just say it however you want to. Nobody's going to care. They got to the other side, back in the land of Herod. And it tells us in verse 35 that when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all the region and brought him all the sick and just asked if they could merely touch the fringe of his garment. And as many, it says, verse 36, as many as touched his garment were made So what's happening in the story is Jesus is getting a little more and more willing to display this power that is in him as the son of God. And the people are flocking to him. And what we are seeing is that Jesus is able to heal. Jesus is able to heal. He's able to heal sickness. He's able to heal disease. He's able to heal malady. Jesus is able to overcome what would be expected in an illness with his healing. So this becomes more and more unfolding of the power of Jesus that moves the disciples to this, you are the Son of God. Now before we talk about faith and learning to trust Jesus, I think this is the important point here. What's being laid out? is that faith is much more about its object than the person who has it. Now, let me unpack that a little bit. Faith is much more about its object than the person who has it. Meaning, the point of faith is the one that you are trusting. It's not that you trust. It's it's not that you're better because you trust. It's that you are trusting the right person. And what's being revealed in this passage is that Jesus is the right person to trust. He's the son of God. He's the object of faith. He's the one who's able to heal. He's the one who's able to save. He's the one who's able to overcome what nature says cannot be overcome. He is able. Look to him. Look to him. Anytime we talk about faith and we hyper-focus on us, we're missing the point. The purpose of faith is coming to the end of us so that we're dependent on Him. 
and I hope I don't make enemies here, I don't think the purpose of this story is the boat and that sometimes we need to get out of it. And I don't think the purpose of this story is how big the waves were. And I don't think the purpose of the story is that we shouldn't acknowledge that sometimes we're in the middle of a storm. I think the purpose of the story is don't lose sight of the one who is able to overcome it all. That's the purpose of the story. So if you don't get anything else today, get this. Jesus is able Because Jesus is the Son of God, and because He is the Son of God, He is worthy of you entrusting everything to Him. That's the point. I just said it like a loud, sweaty revivalist for you this morning. There is something else going on in this story. And that something else is, I think what we see happening in these Gospels is the disciples of Jesus are learning what it means to trust him. They're learning what it means to be people of faith. It's really a gift that we know the end of the story from the beginning, right? Like we know, oh, he's going to die on the cross, but he's going to raised the third day, and in raising the third day, he's going to show that he's defeated death, which means he's defeated sin, which means he's defeated everything, which means we can entrust everything to him. And so we read these stories that way, right? But they're walking into the story this way, like, oh, he fed 5,000 people. I can trust him for provision. Oh, he walked on the water. I can trust him to come and save me, even when it feels like he's not with me. Oh, I cried out to him when I was sinking, and he saved me. I can cry out to him, and he will save me. Oh, he is so powerful. Just come running in faith, and he'll heal, even if that just means touching the end of his garment. I think what we see playing out in the story is these people are learning what it means to trust Jesus as the Son of God. They're learning it in real space and time. And frankly, we'll come to this in a minute. I think we're learning it in real space and time as well. So let's let's learn together what they are learning. Learning to trust. Here's the conundrum of this passage. Jesus intentionally sent them out into the sea without him. And if we believe everything the scripture says about him, he knew the storm was coming. But he sent them out. Well, why did he send them out? Well, one answer that's clearly there is because he wanted to go be alone and pray to the Father. But the other answer is, I think he wanted to reveal himself to them, and he wanted to teach them something about trusting him. Over in chapter 8, they got stuck in the sea in a storm, and Jesus was on the boat to sleep with them. You guys remember that story? And he woke up, and he stopped the storm, and everything was fine. So this is like the uninspired Jamie version, but I envision what's happening here is they're out there in the storm going, Man, if Jesus was just with us, he he could calm this thing. 
Because that happened, you know, that happened the other day. He sent them out. Why did he send them out? I think he's teaching them to trust him. And trust comes from seeing how great Jesus is. Trust comes from being overwhelmed with how he is able. So so the testimony is, they're out in the boat, they're beaten by the waves, the wind is against them, and in the fourth watch of the night, he comes to them, and ultimately he joins them, and he causes the storm to cease. It appears very clearly to me that what Jesus is showing them is, I'm able to work for my people even when it feels like I'm not with you. I'm able to work for my people even when on the surface it looks like I'm not with you. Aren't we so glad Jesus teaches them this point because he's not physically here? And yet he's with us by his spirit and he's working and he is able and we can trust him. Peter says, hey, if that's really you, let me come out there with you. And Jesus says, okay, come. Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. Now, before we get and came to Jesus, now, before we get to the the Peter failure, which is always a part of a Peter story, before we get there, Isn't Jesus showing here that with him, his followers can be involved in the great things that he is doing? Isn't that a fair point here? That that we're, by his power, not by ours, by his calling, not by our wanting, we're involved in the great things that he, we can be involved in the great things that he is accomplishing? Verse 30, but when Peter saw the wind and became afraid, he began to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me. There are books and sermons written about this one verse. Maybe it's there, maybe it's not. But I just really don't... I'm not comfortable standing here and saying that it's wrong to be aware of how stormy the world is around you, which is usually where those go, right? Man, if everything's horrible, it's okay to say everything's horrible unless that causes you to say, but I, I can't trust Jesus. I think the important thing in this passage is when, when Peter thought he had met his end, he cried out, Lord, save me, and Jesus saved him. Even when Peter is sinking, even when 
Peter is not focusing on Jesus. Jesus saves Peter. See, I think the worst thing we can do when we talk about faith is say, if your faith's impure, it's invalid. Because you want to know something? My faith and my trust is always impure. A little bit. And yet, Jesus makes it valid. So I tell you what, the next time you're in a boat in a stormy sea, and God appears and invites you out onto the waves with him, don't look down, look at Jesus, okay? Look at him. Trust him. But if that doesn't magically work and you start to sink, cry out for him to save you. I'm, guys, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to debunk ever. Like, like, I'm just trying to say we can do really hokey things with a great, beautiful Bible passage that makes it all about us and calls us to a level of perfect faith that we can't have. And I just know the hurt that's in this room right now. I know the brokenness that's in this room right now. I know that some of you, it took every ounce of faith you had to get out of bed and show your face here this morning. And I'm so thankful you're here. And I know some of you right now are like, oh no, he's talking about hurt. I wish I weren't here. But here's what I want you to hear. Lord, save me is enough. It's a cry of faith. It's a cry looking to Jesus. As long as you say, Lord, save me, you mean Jesus, the one true son of God, save me. We don't have to be perfect in our trust to be deemed a child of God. Jesus will teach us to trust him. So I think what's playing out here is these disciples are learning what it looks like to trust Jesus. Okay, cool. I'm glad they did. Here's the other reality before we wind up. I think a life of living as a Christian is learning to trust Jesus. I mean, our gospel presentations rightly go like this. God made you in his image and you're, you have sinned and transgressed that image. And because of your sin, you deserve eternal wrath and condemnation. But Jesus, the son of God, came and lived a perfect life, fully obedient to the law of God so that sinners like us could be given a perfect life and be called children of God and spend eternity with him. So all who cry out to Jesus, all who call on his name, all who repent of their sins and believe will be saved, will be called children of God, will be given the spirit of God and will be his forevermore. Do you believe? That's a gospel presentation. And we all say, Yes! And then magically we disappear and go into eternity forever. Except we don't. And what happens is the Lord leaves us here to learn what it looks like to trust him in everything. Because the more we learn to trust him in everything, the fuller our faith in him is. So as a 20-year-old, when I became a follower of Jesus, I had no idea what it meant to be comforted in agony by the Lord. But now I do, and that gives me deeper trust for him. 
When I was a 20-year-old who became a follower of Jesus, I had no idea what it meant to cry out for my daily bread and see the Lord provide my daily bread. But when I have, it's increased my trust in him. I had no idea what it looked like to try to be a pastor and go to someone's bedside who doesn't want to go on and convince them to go on. But then I realized I don't convince them to do anything. I just point them to Jesus. But when he convinces them to go on, my trust in his power increases and increases and increases. And so I think one of the realities we learn is it's probably not going to look just like this. But our lives in Christ are learning to trust Jesus in fuller and deeper ways again and again and again and again. So to make this as as pragmatic as I can, if you're here today and you are a Christian, meaning you have um, confessed your need of Jesus as a Savior, you you believe that the Spirit of God is upon you and you are called a child of God, then your question tomorrow morning when you wake up is this. Will I trust this saving Jesus in everything today? I'm just going to tell you, if we did a full diagnostic of your life or my life, the answer is no. We don't actually. We love to put a few things in a compartment over here and be like, I I got this one. I got this one. And then what happens in my life is the Lord progressively just reaches into that compartment and he's like, nah, you need my help here. Nah, you need my help here too. Nah, you need my help here too. And here's the reality. When the Lord does that, when the Lord puts us in the boat and sends us out to the sea where it feels like he's not with us, he's not doing that to be mean or vindictive. He's not doing that because I sinned yesterday and now he's out to get me. He's doing that because he wants me to learn to trust him there too. Jesus is able. Jesus is good. Jesus calls us to trust him, and he even helps us learn to trust him, because trusting him is good. So our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words and that you would through them teach us to love you, teach us to trust you, teach us to walk in your ways. Lord, I pray for all the people in this room that you would give us a great vision of you. And I pray that you would stir us and motivate us to walk with you. To take all of our lives and lay them at your feet and say, be the Lord over all of this and guide us and trust us. Or cause us to trust you. Lord, you know the work that needs to be done 
among all of us gathered here today. So we pray you would do it. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.